So last week, we learned that truth means reality. It's a reality that you can rely upon. It's a reality that you can build your life upon. It's a reality you can bet your life on. And that's why we're calling this series, Let's Get Real. Because truth is reality, it's what's real. So are you guys ready to get real this morning? Are you ready? Because I want to tell us what's really going on in the world. And we're going to take a look. But I, I got to give you a warning on this because reality might be hard for some people to swallow. So here, watch this warning that I give you this morning. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth. You can't handle the truth. So, that's the reality. Some people have a hard time handling the truth this morning. Um, you might want answers instead of truth, but we're going to give you truth this morning, and we'll have to see how well we do with handling the truth. Because here's the reality. The truth of Christianity does not always feel good or make you feel better. Actually, sometimes it can be more painful. It doesn't make your life easier Actually, sometimes it makes it harder, but it's truth that is real and it's something you can build your life upon and you can bet your life on it and you can build your life around it. So you follow me? That's what the truth is about what's going on in the world today. So, so let's start. We live in a spiritual world. It's a material world and a spiritual world. And there's real spiritual beings in this spiritual world. And you need to know that that world, the spiritual world, is just as real as this material table right here. And the spiritual beings are just as real as each person in this room today. So we got we to get down to reality here. There's a real world that is going on with real beings that are invisible. And this world touches our lives, touches our families. It touches our church. It touches our nation. It touches the world. And it's the real explanation behind a lot of the struggles and the problems that we're feeling in this world. Turn to Ephesians chapter 6 because we're going to look at God's truth where you can see it for yourself what he says about this. Ephesians chapter 6. I'll give you a moment to get there. Actually, we looked at this not too long ago in our series regarding spiritual warfare. But I'm going to start in verse 11 of Ephesians 6 as he says this. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes, the strategies, the methods of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, 
against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. The heavenly places and the earthly places intersect with one another. And there is a spiritual world where there's real spiritual beings which are called demons, which in this passage are called rulers and authorities and powers and world forces and spiritual forces of wickedness. They're real beings that exist. And he says our struggle here really isn't with other human beings. It really isn't about flesh and blood. But there's a struggle that's taking place that behind the humans really stands invisible spiritual beings. And in verse 11, we notice the word schemes. Satan's got various different strategies that he uses in this battle to try to accomplish his purposes. And his primary scheme is that of deception. Matter of fact, in John, I think I have this verse on PowerPoint. He says this, you are of your father, the devil. He does not stand in truth. He does not stand in reality because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks, he speaks a lie. He speaks from his own nature. For he is a liar and he's the father of lies. So Satan is the father of lies and his primary method coming out of his nature is that of deception. We see this in Revelation chapter 12, verse 9. We saw, and the great dragon was thrown down. He's talking about in the future here. The serpent of old who was called the devil and Satan who deceives the whole world. Satan is at work. To deceive us. Deceive means this, to believe a lie. And Satan is at work to try to get people to believe a lie because a lie isn't what's real. It's imaginary. It's, it's an uh, illuminate, not, I can't get, illusion. There's the word. It's an illusion of reality. And he wants us to rely upon it because he knows if we rely upon it, our lives will crumble. So Satan, the father of lies, is trying to get us to believe lies, and he's using deception to do that. Now, what we learned last week about Jesus, who's he? Is Jesus a truth? He is the truth. We learned last week, he is the truth. He is the truth par excellence. He is the truth of all truths. If you take the word goat that they use for the greatest of all time, Jesus is the greatest of all truths. He is the, there is no other truth like him. He's the truth of all truths. He's the king of truths. He is the truth. So we got a battle going on in this world between Satan, the father of lies, who's trying to use lies to get us to believe the lies, and we've got God and Jesus who is truth. And this battle's going on between the truth and the lie because God's very nature is truth. Satan's very nature is the lie. And this battle's going on in this arena of truth and lie. And it's a real spiritual battle. And Satan is trying to do this. 
He is trying to control people with lies so that he can use them because they're convinced they believe this lie is true. So now they become part of his team to further his agenda to try to convince other people that his lies are true. Now, God, on the other hand, is trying to set people free by the truth. And so when we come to the truth, we're freed of that. We're freed of Satan's power. We're freed of Satan's lies. And now we become part of the team to carry out God's agenda of truth to help people see the truth. This is the battle that's really going on. And there are spiritual weapons that God has given us for this battle. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. If you're in Ephesians, just go back one book, that's Galatians, and then the next book is 2 Corinthians, and right near the end of the book, you'll see chapter 10. Starting in verse 3, we're going to see these weapons. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but are divinely powerful for the destruction of forces, fortresses. Now here we go, verse 3. Though we walk in the flesh, our war is not according to the flesh. We just saw that in Ephesians 6. Our struggle is not with flesh and blood. It's a spiritual war. And so while we're humans walking in a material world with human bodies, we are in a war that is spiritual and it's not of the flesh. And God has given us weapons, we see in this next verse, for this warfare that are not fleshly weapons. They're not of human origin but they're divinely powerful. They're weapons that God has given to us and he's infused his power into these weapons. And these weapons are used for the destruction of fortresses, strongholds, well-secured areas that Satan has. Now he tells us in verse five specifically what strongholds we're destroying. Because note the way he finishes verse four. But, the divinely power, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. Now he says, this is what we're destroying. We're destroying speculations, that means false reasoning, and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God, and we're taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. It's a battle for truth. And Satan has well secured. He's got it well secured in the world. He's got it well secured in the culture. He's got it well secured in some of our minds. (laughs) There's a fortress where where he is working with false reasonings in anything that's raised up against God's truth. Whether it be a philosophy, whether it be a teaching, uh, whether it be an ideology, Uh, You know, whether any thought, anything raised up against the knowledge of God. And so Satan is building strongholds in our culture and in our lives that are built upon lies, false reasoning, and things that are against the truth of God. And God has given us divinely 
powerful weapons to be able to fight it. So guess what, guys? Good morning. Welcome to Moraine Valley. Aren't you really excited to hear some truth this morning and your real world and what's going on? I mean, what a way to start Sunday morning. But it's real. And it's something you can build your life on because you got to realize this. We live on the battlefield. We're on the battlefield. And guess what? You and I are Satan's target. (laughs) Satan wants to destroy you. And he wants to destroy me. And he wants to destroy your marriage. And he wants to destroy your family. He wants to destroy this church. He wants to destroy this nation. And the primary tool he's going to use are lies, false reasoning, and anything raised up against the knowledge of God. And he's going to use it to deceive the world. So we'll depend upon something that's not real, that's not dependable, that's not reliable. And we'll see our lives and our families and our church, and our nation, and our world crumble. That's the real world we live in. Like Jack Nicholson said, you can't handle the truth. That's the truth according to this book of truth. Sanctify them in truth. Set them apart in truth. Make them less sinful and more like Jesus through truth. Thy word is truth. This is where we find out about reality. And that's where we just looked at to see the real world we're living in. So that's, that's the real world. I want to just give us a glimpse this morning of what this real world looks like in our postmodern era. Um, we've talked about it. We're going to talk more next week. Uh, we've introduced it a little bit. But we we moved uh, many people in this room were born during what they call a modern era, which was really going on for centuries. There's been a shift in our day and age like most people never experience. And that's a shift in era in the way that you look at truth between the modern era and the postmodern era. And it's creating a lot of confusion and conflict. And the enemy is loving all of this in the midst of it. And I'm here to tell you this. The modern era was no better than the postmodern era. It's God's eternal era that we need to plug into when it comes to truth. And we'll see that next week. But uh, so this is what people do. This spiritual war that we're talking about, many people call a cultural war. And it's a fair name for it. Because this war is being fought out in the institutions of a culture that we live in in cultures around the world. What are the institutions of a culture? You've got, there's seven institutions that basically culture is defined by and lived out in. Family, religion, government, arts, media, education, and economy. Leave that up, Pete, for a couple seconds till I finish this idea. So uh, Marcus Warner, Uh, did a great uh, webinar on cultural war, spiritual war that we're in. And he says this, a cultural war happens when two worldviews clash within the culture. So what you have is you have people that 
look at life and look at truth through this lens, which produces a values and a lifestyle that come out of it. Then you've got people that look at life through this lens, which produces values and a lifestyle that come out of that. And what is happening is we're seeing a clash of worldviews right here in our own country that is creating a cultural war. And he said this, and I think we can feel some of this going on in, in, in the last number of decades. He says the, the worldview that's in control of the institutions, when they begin to put pressure upon them to have to accept their worldview, then the war is put on steroids. I think that's what we've been feeling. I don't care which side of the aisle you're from, when the pressure's put on by one side to the other to have to do it our way and have to accept our values, that's when the war is put on steroids. Now, Marcus Warner went on to say, and I think it was so good, um, historically, Christians have only been involved in two cultures of society. We spend a lot of time in family and religion. But when it comes to government, the arts, media, education, and economy, we've kind of stayed out of those things. We let the world do their thing. We got our families. We got our religion. Well, here's the problem. When Christians get out of the other five, what do you think happens to the other five? Exactly what we saw and exactly what we see because now we're living in a culture where their values and their views are just the opposite of what we value and what we view. And so because we've kind of stepped out of those, now we've got a postmodern world that looks, that looks at truth and values things very different than we do. You following me? That's the war that we're in. And Vody, uh, Vody Bachman, I'm going to give you four books next week you can read, so don't worry about it now. His will be one of them, um, The Eternal Loving Truth. Uh, he talks in this book about the hallmark of postmodernism. The hallmark is the trademark, the distinguishing characteristic, the most important feature, okay? The most important distinguishing mark of postmodernism is the rejection of absolute truth. That means truth that is true for all people in all places at all times. That means if it's true for me today in Payless Heights, it's true for somebody in China in Beijing today. And matter of fact, it'll be true for them tomorrow and it'll be true for me a year from now, and it'll have been true for people 100 years ago, no matter where they live. So you found it's truth that is true for everybody in all places at all times. And then he goes, and by the way, next week I'm gonna focus the whole message basically on absolute truth. This morning I wanna introduce us to what he calls the three byproducts of rejecting absolute truth. And that is this, pluralism, relativism, and tolerance. We kind of get a feel for what they are. I'm going to try to introduce us a little bit more. We'll talk a little bit more next week about these. 
I'm actually planning to give you a flyer. Grab a flyer next week when you come in. I'm going to have definitions for all these words we use in this battle and a little chart that I've developed. I'm trying to summarize my best understanding of putting all this together as we look at the eternal era versus the modern era versus the postmodern era. But uh, this morning, I want to start with these three byproducts of rejecting absolute truth. And the first one is called pluralism. Plural, more than one. <laughs> you know, easy to remember that. It's when you have two or more different or opposing views that are viewed as equally true and valid. So this means you can have views that are different. You can even have views that are in opposition. And yet pluralism says that those views are equally valid and equally true. So a postmodern world has no problem with irrationality and contradictions. I mean, it's just part of, it's part of the ballgame in the way that, that thought is today. Now, we struggle with that who are part of the eternal era because the laws of logic say this, truth can't contradict itself. Two plus two can't be four, and two plus two can't be five. Or I can't say there's a hamster in the cage, and there's not a hamster in the cage, at both at the same time, and they both can't be true. So we struggle with contradictions, while the modern-day, postmodern era embraces and celebrates contradictions. You know, what... what where this grew out of, they believe, you know, and I think they're right as I read it. I've done a lot of reading for this. Um, the industrialization of the cities. So what happens? All of a sudden, if you want work, you got to live by a big city. And so what's happened? People from all areas of the country and all areas of the world are moving to the big cities to find work. So now guess what happens? Now we got people of different cultures, different ways of thinking, different religions that now all of a sudden are living close together. They're working day by day with one another. They're interacting with one another. And then you add the internet and air travel on top of it where we shrunk the world into being a place where people interact and live daily with people that are very different than them and think very different than them. So we live in a pluralistic society. And it doesn't take much to move from a pluralistic society to believing in pluralism that who am I to say your way is wrong and who are you to say that my way is wrong? And so the thinking of the postmodern world now is the fact that there can be more than one view of truth. They can even be opposing views, but they're both equally true and valid. So that's the first um, hallmark, or no, I'm sorry, the first byproduct of rejecting absolute truth. Relativism is the second one. Relativism says this, Truth is not fixed. There's no truth that is fixed for Chicago and China for today and for tomorrow. Truth is not fixed, but rather it's individually 
determined according to the circumstances, according to the mindsets, according to the feelings. And so now, when it becomes the relative truth, truth can change from person to person, from group to group, from subculture to subculture. And so what happens is when you have relativism happening, say there is no fixed truth, there is no absolute truth, but truth is determined by the individual dependent upon their circumstances, then that means that you take each different view you know, that you have of each different person, each different subculture, each different group, and you add to it that there's no longer any absolute truth, so guess what happens? Truth is in constant flux. <laughs> Tomorrow with a new person, a new group, a new subculture, a new situation, guess what? There can be a new truth. And so truth is constantly in flux. Truth is constantly changing and developing and progressing. And, and what we find here is, is that all truths are equally valid in a relativistic culture. So that's why you're here. You've heard this before. When you put pluralism and relativism together and they go hand in hand, guess what you get? Well, that may be true for you, but it's not true for me. You ever hear that before? I mean, that is a gigantic statement we hear in our culture constantly of the fact that this may be true for you. But guess what? My circumstances, my feelings, my group, who gets to individually determine ours, and there is no absolute truth, we feel this is truth. And so we've got a culture, a postmodern way of looking at truth that says that it's a truth that is plural and it's a truth that's relativistic. And now here's, here's the third byproduct, tolerance. Tolerance used to mean this. What it meant was that I bear with, I accept, and I respect people that have a different view than me. Now, where it's gone to today now is this, because if you take a pluralistic relativism culture, now tolerance says this, you not only bear with, you not only accept, and you not only respect people that are different than you, you need to embrace and celebrate their view equal with your own. You need to value what they value to the same level that you value your own truth or you are intolerant. And so now today we're living in a culture, talk about starting to put the pressure to accept a certain point of view. We got a pressure where people are, are putting on one another that if you don't accept mine and value mine, then um, you're intolerant. You know, we'll see next week. The, understanding these things are so important because as we said earlier on, postmodern people are not the enemy. Anymore you'll find that modern people, because modern people trusted in science and the mind of man, that's, that's no better. <laughs> um, we got God's truth that was uh, our ultimate reliance. And so what we have here is, is that we are getting better understanding how to minister to people.
And because we are people who proclaim a truth that's not only absolute, that we believe is true for all people in all places at all times, it's exclusive. What does exclusive mean? Well, it excludes others. <laughs> it, it says this is right and that is wrong. There is a right and a wrong when it comes to the Bible. And there's a right and wrong about faith and belief and practice. And so we present a truth that respectfully says, you know what? They can't both be true. Either Jesus is the truth, either Jesus is the way, and he is the life, or he's not. It can't both be true. And so we present an exclusive truth. And it's very important for us to grab a couple things in our heart as we do that. One, we said this often before, this is a value of Moraine Valley Church. Grace and truth. Love and truth. Love without truth is too soft. Truth without love is too hard. We need love and truth that come together. We need grace and truth. We need to learn to communicate to people that are different than us in a way that is loving and graceful, full of truth and love. And then as Erwin Lutzer says, we gotta be prepared for two things. The first one is this. We need to learn to accept rejection as a badge of honor. Go, wait a minute. What are you talking about? Well, what did Jesus say? If we believe this book, blessed are you when you're persecuted for my name's sake. Why? Because great is your reward in heaven. So now when I'm rejected or persecuted for speaking grace and truth, love and truth, now you might get persecuted rightfully so for just coming with truth with no grace, but when you come with grace and truth and you're persecuted, we need to begin to be people who learn to rejoice, as Jesus said, because great is our reward in heaven. And the second thing Erwin said was this, and I'll give you his book next week as well. We need to be more concerned about what God thinks than what people think. You know, guys, when we're living in a culture now and we're trying to bring a truth that is absolute and exclusive, we need to do it with grace and with truth, with love and truth. We need to be ready to be rejected by some because they're not gonna accept that. And we need to be more concerned about what God thinks of us than what other people think of us. So I wanna close with this. Uh, Marcus Warner, again in his um, webinar, he, he asked this question. How do we engage in this war and still act like Christians? That's a fair question. How do we engage in a cultural, spiritual war that's going on, that's touching our lives and our families and our institutions and our church and our nation and our world? How do we engage and still act like a Christian? He, he used the acronym LOVE. I think he was right on target. We'll do them one at a time. L, love your enemies and do them good. 
Guys, what did, what, well, no, I'll save it for the next one, but love your enemies. That's what Jesus told us to do, right? So where am I going to find reality? It's not man's best thinking. It's not what you think is best. It's not what Pat thinks is best. It's what Jesus says to do. And Jesus says we're to love our enemies and do them good. So if we're going to engage in a cultural war, we need to learn to do that in a loving way and actually love the people and do them good who we're in war with. Second one is this, the O. Oppose wicked spirits and pray for revival. What did we learn? Who's the real enemy here? Is it flesh and blood? No. I'm going to treat flesh and blood with love and respect and do them good. And I'm going to begin to come out on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Wednesday at 6 o'clock and not at 7. And I'm going to come out and I'm going to be praying because, guys, there's a war out there that wants to destroy our lives. There's real spiritual beings just as real as those of us sitting in this room whose sole goal is to destroy you and your family and your church and your nation. And brothers and sisters, one of the greatest ways we can do this is by opposing wicked spirits in prayer and praying for revival. The V, validate the people you're with. You know what that means? Listen first. Don't jump in there with your Bible like a machine gunist and start shooting verse after verse at people before they even have a chance to say what they think and believe. Don't start accusing people of stuff. Don't say you're this and that without really hearing their heart and understanding them. So what you need to do is you need to validate first. Listen first. <laughs> uh, hear what they really believe. Don't assume. Ah, you know, I used to do this. You believe this? You know, I got saved out of the Catholic Church, and so I used to come my way. You believe this and that? And they're like, they've never heard of that before. And you know, and I'm accusing them of believing it. Why don't I just quiet down and say, what do you believe? And then we can talk more intelligently about this. We need to listen first. And then validate people. Hey, I appreciate what you're saying. Give them dignity and worth. Dig their, give their feelings and their thoughts because they're part of this postmodern world. Validate their thinking and their opinions. That doesn't mean you have to agree with them, but you need to validate. Then you can speak the truth in love. Lead with listening then you can be wiser how to respond with the truth and love. Then the final one is E, engage with cultural institutions. Brothers and sisters, it comes down to vote. Christians, ah, God's sovereign. He is sovereign, but God works through the individual. I'm not even going to try to explain that now because it's bigger than I'm smart. But you know what? We have a part of a responsibility, and that is to vote our conscience. And let me tell you, vote as you believe Jesus would vote as a Christian. And not only vote, but how about the school boards? There's concerns about things going on in the schools. Wouldn't it be great to have the school boards loaded with Christians? And by the way, you know that the school boards determine more of what will be taught to your children than the governor or the president. Because the school boards determine for their district and their area what's going to be taught. So what happens if we start to 
who's running for this and get intelligent in understanding what they're actually going for and voting for people you think that'll represent your interest and the interest of Christ best. And maybe even some of the people at Moraine would run for that and become involved in that. That's why we need teachers and we thank God we have a lot of good teachers and administrators here from Moraine Valley Church that are in the institution of education and they're making a difference. We need to get engaged in the culture rather than just pulling back to our families and our religion and leaving the rest to God and the world. We need more Josephs and we need more Daniels. Where was Joseph? Right there up number two. Uh, next to the Pharaoh in Egypt. What about Daniel, the, the top advisor uh, to the kings at that time? And so when we have Christians in positions of the culture that can make a difference, it makes a difference in the big picture. So guys, that's, that's how we engage in a war and still act like Christians. Now, let's be clear here, and this is what he said. We may not save the world. And we may not even save every relationship when we act that way, but what we will do is this. We will make inroads into relationships that may open doors to share the gospel and allow people to come to Jesus. And then there's another person on the team who's been freed by truth, and now they become an instrument of truth. You following me? Our goal here, and we saw in Jude, he told Jude, this isn't so you change the whole world. This is so that some might be, uh, you might have mercy on those who are doubting and some might be saved who are, you know, plucking them out of the fire. And so what we need to do is start to make a difference in our world, the people we know, the place where God has put us and begin to make a difference where we live. And then Colossians chapter two. If you have your Bibles, I'm gonna close with this one as we prepare for communion. You're in Corinthians, go 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, back the other way. I wish I would've went to Awanas and learned all the Bible books. I still have to cheat. I look at the index and I'm your pastor. Maybe you wanna call a special meeting and a vote afterwards to change that. But I still look at the indexes. I didn't memorize it as a kid. Colossians chapter 2, verse 13. When you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile towards us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. That's the place where Jesus died to pay the penalty of our sins. He shed his blood. The life is in the blood. He had to give his life. He had to shed his blood. He had to die for the forgiveness of our sins and for this debt to be canceled. But he did something else at the cross. Look at verse 15. When he had disarmed. Now it was, you know, verses 13, 14, talk about things he did for us. 
Now it's talking about what he did to the demonic world, which we saw were rulers and authorities and powers. Remember earlier on? When he had disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made a public display of them, having triumph over them through Jesus. You see, at the cross, not only was Jesus' blood shed to forgive our sins, but his blood was shed to defeat and disarm the evil one who's trying to mess up my life and yours and our church and our country. But at the cross, Jesus disarmed him and he triumphed over him in Jesus. Listen to what this says here. Then we're gonna actually take a moment to Revelation, I'll just read it to you. Verse 10 says this. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brethren has been thrown down who accuses them before our God day and night. That's what Satan's doing right now. He's accusing you before God saying, look at that thought that just went through their mind. God, look at that. And they accusing you. He's accusing, accusing before God. He's everything, you know. And this is how they overcame him in verse 11, because of the blood of the lamb and because of the word of their testimony and they did not love their life even when faced with death. So guys, Jesus has already won the battle. And yes, and because he has set us free by the truth and now we're part of the team of truth, we've been delivered from the domain of darkness and transferred to the kingdom of his beloved son. We have been delivered from all the bondages and all the lies and all the authority that Satan handed over to us and now we're in a kingdom of truth where Jesus is reigning and now we have his authority. And brothers and sisters, this is what I want to encourage you with communion. First of all, communion is for believers. So if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, deep in your heart you're not convinced because the Holy Spirit's ministry is to convince us that we're children of God and our heart cries out, Abba, Father. And if you don't have that in your heart today and you're not convinced you're a child of God, what you need to do is you need to transfer your trust from anything you can do, whether it be moral, religious, or good deed, into what Jesus has done at the cross and his resurrection. And at that moment, when you take your trust out of yourself and what you can do and put it in Jesus and what he did to pay for our sins, at that moment, we're transferred to the kingdom of light, the kingdom of his beloved son, and our sins are forgiven. But also now I want to say to you as believers here this morning, maybe we take a few moments in communion before Josh leads us in that to consider, are there places where Satan has duped me? Are there illusions he's gotten me to believe? Are there lies that I've been believing in? Has he deceived me? How has he deceived me? And then I encourage you to go before Jesus and thank him that he has delivered you from that and that his blood has defeated the enemy and then by faith, apply the blood of Jesus
to Satan, his demons, and the schemes that he's using against you. Resist the devil and he will flee. You don't resist him, he'll keep beating you up. <laughs> so resist the devil this morning in areas where he has deceived you and got you to bought into lies and thank Jesus that it's his blood and it's his work and greater is he who's in me than he that's in the world. Thank Jesus for the great victory he won for us.